Hey guys, welcome to the Maker Mistaker podcast. I'm Jeff Finley, and with me today is Karis Molina Brown. She's a, um, well, an entrepreneur and a, and a very inspiring person to me. I came across her, her book, um, Journey of a Starseed, once I sort of started discovering that I was a starseed and I was looking up information and through a, a YouTube channel. I wrote that woman on the YouTube channel and she said to check out um, Karis's work and then I really resonated with everything that I was seeing and then saw she gave away her books for free on her website. So I just downloaded them and I was reading them and I actually was sick at the time. And so I stayed at home and I just basically read read her books the whole the whole time I was sick and I was like just loving every minute of it. And and, and her story of how she awakened um, and sort of became aware of this of sort of these new abilities of like just intuition and psychic abilities and, and all of these sort of supernatural things that you might see in movies and stuff. She started experiencing them in real life and and it was just inspiring to me. And at that point in my awakening, my path, she seemed very like next level, I suppose, to where I was at, to where it was like, well, you can get up to here. Like, what is, you know, like, I got to know more about her. So, and then I've just been, um, you know, casually following your work um, ever since. So introduce how, how you doing, uh, Karis. Welcome to the show. Hi, I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I was just telling you before the show started that I'm not even sure what we're going to talk about, but I can feel the I can feel the energy of it moving in. It's going to be cool. Yeah, it's it's very interesting because I was not raised believing in any of the things that I make my life about now. So it was definitely a rocky, intense awakening, which started um, about 12 years ago. So it's been a while that I've been studying this. I mean, if you were yeah. to look at any other person who had a talent for saying music and then they studied music for 12 years, then it would make sense that they could understand things about music that might not be super familiar to others. Um, but the nice thing about what I do is it's fractal. So that means that you can get one idea and then it just starts expanding in your consciousness. The, the hierarchical system of education, the way that it has been, is not really that way anymore. And that's why so many people are waking up and expanding and becoming geniuses so fast in their field because we're able to access the original source of information now with our, with our more evolved human brains, I think, than possibly ever before. And also because of all the astrological stuff. And, you know. <laughs> yeah, so I don't even know where, to, where we want to start. I think we should start from the beginning. When you were just a, a girl who was not interested in spiritual stuff, you know, you're, I don't know how old you were at high school, and not, you know, just kind of going about your life is probably what a normal kid. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, well, when I was a kid, I was raised in a very, um, a very constricting real, um, religion. So it's funny, I almost said reality, which is true. Uh, my family was, and not that all people who follow this faith are like this, but for whatever reason, my experience of it was like this. I'm not going to bash the faith. All faiths are beautiful. But um, it was a, one that does keep you not necessarily um, encouraged to educate yourself in, the, in anything about the world. In fact, saying worldly is like saying a bad word. Saying someone is worldly is like an insult to their character. Um, and so every single thing that was in any way esoteric was not allowed in my world. It was seen as demonism. And I didn't really care about it. I mean, it wasn't like I was really upset that I wasn't allowed to watch magical movies. And I didn't really crave watching them. And I didn't really feel a strong aversion to them either. It was just kind of not in my reality. So when I, for instance, had an imaginary friend as a child who would tell me things that were accurate that I shouldn't necessarily know, and my mom asked me to draw a picture of it, and I apparently drew an alien 
which I had never seen, you know, because I wasn't allowed to watch that kind of media. And if you look at the more constricted, fearful based paradigms, if someone sees a picture of an alien, they might translate it to as a, a demon. So my mother sees this and I feel the wave of fear coming off her and I didn't really talk about it much after that, even though I knew that I was safe. I, I knew these beings trusted them like they were family, you know? So, um, and I know it's never given a reason not to trust them. So anyway, that I forgot all that. That was when I was really little and I grew up and then I was in college and I was an agnostic because my family stopped being in the religion when I was 12 or 13. And then I had a whole personal spiritual crisis for the next several years saying this world doesn't make sense. And if this world doesn't make sense and there's an omniscient, omnipotent being who can influence everything and who sees everything and who knows everything, then that being is either not real at all, it can't exist, or it's a sadist and I want nothing to do with it because of what I knew of the world, right? Mm -hmm. And so then in college, I had a spiritual awakening my last year in college, which was I started to um, experience clairaudience, clairvoyance, so seeing visions, hearing things that weren't physically there, um, and essentially lots of empathic upgrades, so feeling what people felt more than ever before. When I was in high school and I used to go to the you know neighborhood parties or whatever, my favorite thing to do was give someone a reading, although I didn't know what it was. I would just say, hey, let me tell you what you're thinking right now. And it was this funny little parlor trick that I only did when I'd been drinking it was late at night, and so it wasn't, I never thought about it in the context of anything until this started happening in college. But I thought, because I didn't believe in any of this stuff, I would also go on information binges in the library and freak myself out. Um, mm. I also, I thought that it wasn't real. So when something happened to make it real to me, everything shifted because the paradigm that I was in in the beginning was that I was going crazy. I thought I was losing my mind because I was 20 years old and that's when the onset of adult schizophrenia happens. That's when the onset of adult multiple personality disorder happens, which thinking about the symptoms I was feeling, it must have been one of those things. But also what I found out after I started getting information that was proven to be true in the next five minutes, you know, I thought, well, this can't be a hallucination. So what is it? And then I started studying shamanism and I studied it from the perspective of the academicians who'd written about it because I was studying in university libraries. So I was studying it from the outside perspective. And what I saw was 20 was also the age that many people growing up in indigenous cultures are sent out on their vision quests, on their coming of age quests. It's when their intuition comes online. And so in our culture, we stamp down intuition and we see it as a disorder <laughs> because we don't know how to integrate it. And in other, sometimes it is a disorder, but it's because they don't know how to integrate it. And of course you yeah. don't know how to integrate it if you're never taught that it's real, you know? And then in the other, in the other cultures, it's a normal thing saying, I had a dream, let me go talk to the shaman and see what it meant because it felt really intense and I need to figure it out, is a normal thing. You know, so it's, it's not necessarily that this stuff is that weird everywhere in the world. It's just that there are not very many American female shaman who are making up their own thing as they go along, which is essentially what I'm doing. But I also think that I know for a fact that there are lots of people being called to this path right now and it's going to become a much more normal thing because it just already is happening, yeah. So when you started looking into shamanism and, and, and you were kind of getting some confirmation that your clairaudience, clairvoyance was like a real thing, um, did you immediately start going down that path or did you kind of just, did, did it inspire you? Because you said you were in the library like voraciously reading all this material. And I know that that happens a lot for people who start to awaken. They just get this like 
one book, one video, one thing after another, this insatiable appetite. And that happened to me for sure. Like I swear I probably read 35 books last year, a million different podcasts and documentaries. Every little thing was like opening up something new to me. I mean, now to the point where I'm like so oversaturated that it's almost like I, I feel like I've reached the end of the internet or the end of everything. And it's like, oh, now where do I go? Now you're on the forefront, which is where you're trying to get this whole time, you know? And so what what ends up happening nowadays is that people do it on the internet. They have all-night mm -hmm. info binges going from Wikipedia article to Wikipedia article to blog to podcast, to, you know, all the way around. And what I think is really great about the internet is that probably everything I learned in those months in the university library, now having the internet and being able to just intuitively, you know, find things that look interesting, okay, Google that, find things that look interesting, okay, Wikipedia that, or whatever it is. Um, nowadays, it probably would have taken me, I don't know, a few days to have gotten what it took me weeks or even months to get back then. So that's another reason I think the internet is an exponential growth. A lot of people have problems with it, and of course, it's a huge, almost, organism. There are going to be good and bad aspects of it, but one of the good ones are, is that we can now have access to each other so people don't feel alone as much anymore because that's another huge thing about this kind of awakening is you feel absolutely crazy and you feel all alone like no one in the world other than you is experiencing this when actually there are tons of people experiencing it but we're not all in the same place doing the same thing because it's kind of a random sample of the population who get this particular activation just like any talent you know so now that we have the internet we all don't feel so crazy because we can see these confirmations that other people are experiencing all the time too yeah, if it wasn't for the internet, I would never have discovered you and never would have discovered a lot of the things that I have learned that I felt like made me so much better, more, it kind of got me out of my depression, my burnout. And, um, you know, for a long time, I had been following the path that I felt like was true. You know, I was always trying to be true to myself. And I, I was an entrepreneur and I started businesses, you know, I, well, I joined a graphic design firm. I was always an artist, kept trying to be, pursue this creative path and then trying to justify making money from it in some way so we started business and sold products and we always our aim was always to inspire people and i got my share of fame and fortune and success and stuff like that but then it something was eating at me sort of from the inside and i didn't know what it was and i wasn't a spiritual person or anything like that and then it and it then it just was too much for me and i had to fess up that i was depressed for the first time and i was like i have no reason to be depressed i felt guilty about being depressed because i'm supposed to be this like all-star person you know i have no reason I've, I've got a life a lot of people would dream of right i my life is pretty easy for, for according to some people but then it was like through through the internet and through various articles it was like a, an unfolding process and as i turned as I, I was on my 31st birthday, basically, is when all this stuff started happening. And um, and I, I, I want to go into that, probably in a different podcast, my whole awakening process. But um, in your case, um, I remember you talked about in journal, uh, journal, journal of a Starseed. Did you, you didn't know anything about Starseeds when you first had this awakening, right? And you didn't know anything about crystals? No way. I, I didn't know anything about anything. I didn't know that New Age existed. I didn't know that there was any such thing. In fact, the first time I ever went into a New Age bookstore, which I found out about in a really synchronicitous way, I was shocked and a little frightened to see that all of these books, there were even enough of them to fill a bookstore. And I had never smelled incense before, and I'd never heard like ambient music before, and I'd never really seen crystals before. I didn't know that people dug up certain types of rocks and polished them and then used them for stuff. I had no idea. 
So it was all completely new to me. And I had, the universe gave me a real crash course on it. The first time I went to that spiritual bookstore, I met my Reiki teacher. My Reiki teacher completely rocked my reality. And then after that, everything started to kind of go off into sections. So after I learned Reiki, I had some really crazy experiences as that was happening, which you know about because they are in the book. And after that, and that some of the starseed stuff came in there, but I still wasn't even thinking much about that. I was still mostly just into what's energy healing, what's um, meditation, what are past lives, how can you remember your past lives and you and like regain that knowledge for this life, you know, like those kinds of things. And who have you known before and what's happened before and how can you heal traumas from past lives. But the whole starseed thing, the whole like extraterrestrial, that aspect of our existence as humans, I did not think about for like seven more years. And then what happened to activate that was I was driving cross country and I went under this huge ship. I don't even want to say UFO because it was a ship. Like it's not that unidentified, at least not to me. And I had a really intense, probably one of the most intense emotional and mental experiences of my life when I communicated with them and I had no idea what was going on. I was absolutely terrified. This wasn't me, you know, going to the top of the mountain trying to make contact. No, I was just on a road trip and it found me. And then Yeah, like let me talk about that, okay? Because that was that was a big turning point in the book and, and in your story. It was like um I, and I can imagine where a lot of people might be lost on that. Like, yeah. how, do, how most people don't don't see anything like that in their day to day life. So you're driving down the street, and then you feel like it's a, like a really cloudy in this one area, or uh, well, kind of. Yeah, I was driving across one of the Great Plains of the U.S., like in the upper middle part of the country, and I was on a highway in the middle of just grassy plains. There weren't other roads. There wasn't more than any buildings, not even really any trees or anything. And they do get epic storms out there, you know, so it's not like, it's, it's not like from an outsider's perspective, there was anything really untoward going on. But from my perspective, I'd just been driving from, for about 12 hours. And then I was taking a break and sleeping. And I heard the driver say, Karis, you should look at this. And I didn't, People don't usually say stuff like that, you know? And so I kind of took the, I think I had a jacket over my face or something to block out the light because it's about 11, 12 o'clock during the day. And I took it down and I saw the sky was completely blue where I was on my whole, from, from pretty far ahead of me to way back to the horizon behind me. But on the horizon directly ahead, there was a cloud, right? That's what it kind of appeared to me. But mm -hmm. also it was of a very specific shape. It was shaped like a huge saucer, so big that it went over the horizon. I could only see the forward edge of it. And really what it looked like, if you look up um, wall cloud uh, images of it, um, that's what it was. But even if you look at the anatomy of a wall cloud, to me, it's not very hard to see that it could possibly also be something else. Um, and then we're talking interdimensional. You know, I'm not necessarily talking physical, although it looked that hard, like it looked like you could knock on the edge of that cloud. And it was really low to the earth and underneath it was pitch black. And it was the middle of the day. I'd never seen anything like it. I'd, I've seen storms. I grew up in Virginia. I've been across the country several times driving. I've seen, all, I've seen wall clouds before. <laughs> I've seen all kinds of, I've had, you know, lightning striking around me. I'm not, I'm familiar with storms, but that was like nothing I'd ever seen before. And the forward bottom lip of it curved down. So I couldn't really see what was under there. All I could see is that it was dark. And I was terrified. And like I said, I love nature. I love storms. I'm not afraid of them. 
But there was something so primordial in me that was absolutely heart-stoppingly afraid of I had no idea what. So part of me was thinking, I don't want to go under there. I do not want to go under there. But, you know, the road's going under there. You're on a highway. What are you going to do? And even if you did turn around and it's coming this way, like you can't get away from it. And secondly, I was kind of curious. I do have a scientist mind in a lot of ways, so I kind of wanted to know what was under there. And so finally, we got underneath it. And first, there was no rain or anything. There were just intense winds. And of course, it was really eerily silent, like storms can be. But I looked up underneath, and what it reminded me of was the bottom of a jellyfish, the way that the structure made out of seemingly cloud in the sky was. And it was all these different colors. The colors made absolutely no logical sense. Even light bending around through clouds doesn't make sense. The amount of brightness that there was for it to be so dark there didn't make any sense. There were just a lot of things that were challenging my my understanding of what was possible. So I was getting really overloaded. And I, knowing that I was an intuitive by this point, I tried to decide what it was because I remember telling the driver, I feel like a mouse under a hawk. Never felt like that before. I didn't know why I felt like that. And so I kind of quested my consciousness upward. I'm really used to working with like Kundalini and um, spinal stuff and chakras. So you just stretch upward out of the top of your head through your seventh chakra. You know, that's what I was doing. And tried to feel what was up there so I could figure it out. I had not, no thought that it was necessarily a consciousness. I was just curious about what that was that was giving me that feeling. And as soon as I connected, in retrospect, what I think happened was just a mutual connection. But as soon as I kind of felt like I had gotten up there, I noticed something watching me from inside my own head. It was, it was the strangest feeling. I don't know how to describe it other than that. And I know some people might say, that sounds absolutely crazy. But not crazy. I live a completely normal life, too. You know, they've never done anything insane. None of that. None of the stuff that would corroborate the, the crazy happened yeah. in my life, right? And by the way, every time I get a new kind of access key into another area of knowledge, I'm afraid I'm going crazy too. And I have to wait until I equalize it to, to bring it to public. Anyway, I never have that I know of. So um, I realized that something was watching me from inside my mind. And the thought that came through to me very clearly, very powerfully, something very powerful, something very confident that had no, I, there wasn't much emotion actually. And what it said was something along the lines, and I forget the exact wording, but remain calm. As calm as you stay, that's how calm we'll be. And I didn't know what that meant, <laughs> but I, I knew that this thing felt immensely powerful and I felt afraid. So what does not calm mean? If I freak out, am I going to get like struck by lightning or blown off the road? I don't know. So I leaned my chair back and went into a meditation. And since I'd been doing this now for seven or eight years, I was able to slow my heart rate, slow my breathing, come into my body and kind of put myself in just a light floaty trance until we got out the other side and it ended really abruptly on the end. It was probably about 20 or 30 minutes driving highway speeds in the opposite direction this thing was going. So it just shows you how big it was. Much bigger than a house, much bigger than even a small town, you know. Um, and so we went and got gas and I went in and I'm all, you know, endorphined out and, and fight or flight is in full effect still. I'm trying to work it out. Wow. And I go in and ask the cashier, oh, that was a crazy storm. Do you guys ever get storms like that around here? And she looked at me and she's like, uh, yeah, I guess. And it just, that was the first time of many where I've seen things like ships in the sky and look around and nobody else sees it either just because no one's looking up or because it's kind of hard to see and you have to look at a specific spot and no one happens to be looking there or people just don't. I, 
I've seen UFOs with someone before that bounced around the sky and then within 20 minutes the person said, oh, those were seagulls because the brain couldn't take it. They weren't seagulls. Seagulls don't bounce around the sky. You know, like there's no way a seagull can do that or a plane. But sometimes your mind just can't take the amount of paradigm shift, so you rework it into something that you can understand. And people have shown in studies about eyewitness memory and stuff like that 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 happens all the time. So having your paradigm break like that, it's actually kind of a painful experience. It's a scary experience. And it's happening a lot more gently now that this kind of knowledge is getting out that these things happen, because then it's not such a cracking of what you thought was true if this happens to you anymore. So that's nice. Yeah, I'm always like told that you'll get these types of things when you're ready for it. And I feel like, come on, I'm ready for it. Give me the, give me the, I want to see an alien. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll ask for it. And then you've got people that have seen it that are like, why are you asking to see it? Sometimes it's not that good, you know? Yeah, it's, it's not, usually it's not what you think, just like anything in imagination and reality. Anything you see in the movies when it happens in real life, it's not what you think. And also, we're talking about breaking a paradigm here. And so... I've, I've before asked, um, especially in past years, I was like, show me more, show me more. And they would say, no, because we don't want to break you. If, if you break paradigms too fast, it can crack consciousness. That's schizophrenia, right? And so if, if you have, what they told me is you have a reason for being here. And if we break you, you won't, like, you, you can't do that. You can't fulfill your purpose as an individual. Um, and the purpose as an individual these days, many of us, the purpose is greater integration of all beings. And so everybody has a vested interest in what we're doing here. And so it's better that reality be kind to you. Now, I do know that when stuff starts to happen physically, because a lot of people look at this physical world as the final say. Like, well, if it's not physical, then I don't believe it. But we also know that physicality is only one tiny bit of the experience spectrum. You know, you've got all the emotions, which aren't physical. You've got all the light spectrum we can't see all the audible spectrum that is not audible to our ears. We know that there's a whole lot going on that we can't see and feel in a physical way, but we have convinced ourselves that if we can't, then we won't believe it. So sometimes things do become physical, but then if your physical paradigm breaks, your body might freak out. Like your, you know, it's just fight or flight stuff, right? So your digestive system might give out. A lot of people, the first time they see an alien, they wet their pants. (laughs) You know, that's not necessarily gonna happen, but, but there are reasons why things are taken at a gentle pace sometimes. And you can always discover more that won't freak you out, but that will build a scaffolding. So then later you can see something that might have freaked you out before and now it won't. Yeah, and I think I, you touched on life purpose. And uh, it's kind of like it's, it depends on the person's their purpose for being here, whether they're meant to experience this stuff or not. And it's kind of like, well, if I'm not meant to have an alien abduction experience, you know, like there's a reason why someone else may be going through that. Whereas maybe I'm not like, cause I've, I've had experiences or at least with out of body experiences and lucid dreaming a lot. And this started activating about a year ago. I used to have night terrors when I was a kid where I would like be paralyzed in my bed and shadowy demons in my, around my bed. And I was, it was the most terror I would ever feel. And, um, and I do remember them and I carried them into adulthood and my, um, my wife would be like shaking me up awake, you know, trying to get me out of this. And I feel like, Oh my God, thank you. You saved my life. And then once I started getting into meditation, um, I started to become mindful. And then I was like, next time that happens to me, I'm going to be mindful with it instead of trying to wake up. And then, so once I did that is when I, the fear went away and then I floated up out of my body. Mm-hmm. And then that was a paradigm shift breaker for me because I was so excited about it and I started reading about it and and I was like and then I had also read about enlightenment experience Mm -hmm. whereas somebody would take their they would have this 
intense out-of-body experience to the point where they were they would receive all the answers and knowledge and insights from the universe and they would understand the human suffering of the planet and they would show all their past lives and and I was like I want that experience I, I really want that experience and then I started having my own OBEs and stuff and and it got really into um I started thinking why well, I could have like I could what happens in an out-of-body experience that I could use for spiritual development or for to know more about myself and then of course I was going back and forth with are these real? Is this just a hallucination? Is this the product of my brain, like giving playing tricks on me? And then of course, people would I would post about it, and then people would be like, "That's not real, you know. You know, that's not real. Your consciousness can't leave your body." What do you think about that? I've proven that so many times that it can't. I mean, just read some of the near death experience literature. They've done. There have been so many experiences where someone dies physically, and then they report a conversation being had by other people outside the room, far away down the hall, that the conversation was had at the moments that their body was dead. Explain that. That happens all the time. These things happen all the time. And the, the most interesting thing about common knowledge, I would say, is people can be totally sure about what has or hasn't happened, what the science says or doesn't say, without ever having studied it, without ever having done one internet search on what the science actually says. And that's one thing that back when I used to get in debates like that, because now I'm, I'm just, I'm not interested in debating. So I'm not interested in changing anyone's mind. So if um, people don't agree with what I say, then that's fine. They, I, I'm not, that's okay. I think there are enough perspectives as there are as many as there are people, you know? So, um, but back then when that stuff would come up, I would ask the person, have you studied it? Because I've studied it. So have you studied it? And they would always say no, because if they had studied it, even a little, even with a kind of open mind, they would see that what we're taught is what is going on is not what's going on. It's just it takes things a really long time to filter down into public knowledge. Because think about the amounts of new information that come across any average person who doesn't look for its plate any day. It's not very much. Usually it's just reiteration of what you knew in different packages, maybe, or it's just stuff that you already knew, period. And so it's okay that everyone... It, the way that I see this, you know, a lot of people talk about things like disclosure, like ET disclosure, or um, the, the top-down things changing, you know, people in governments, people in uh, entertainment industry, things like that. But I don't think that's the way that it happens. I think that it happens, it's a grassroots awakening, and also not everybody is interested. So if someone is a, like I said before, the musical example, if someone's a musical genius and thinks everyone in the world should be able to write symphonies, I don't particularly want to write a symphony. So I'm not going to sit here and study musical composition for years so I can write a symphony. I'll leave that to the symphony writers. I'm not, I don't think in this lifetime I'll ever be a brain surgeon, and that's okay. I don't need to know that specialization. I don't need to spend decades studying it. But I particularly did have a calling to study this kind of stuff, so I've spent time studying it, and I'll keep studying it for the rest of my life probably. And so I had, it's, it's like any kind of expertise you have in a particular area. None of them are better than others. None of them are necessarily more evolved than others. You can evolve on any single path. But the idea is whether or not you're living authentically to whatever your passion is and whether or not you're realizing that when challenges come up, there are opportunity for you to grow, not to get pissed off at the world. And I think that that's true in just about every faith and just about every, even Einstein talked about the divine order of the cosmos. You know, it doesn't have to be a superstitious thing or a thing where you're giving up your energy to any type of God or something you worship, you know. Well, you talked about, you made quite a bit of a progress there. What about, let's talk, we'll go back to life purpose because 
that seems to be coming up a lot these days. Like, um, what is my purpose for being here? And, and I often go through phases of like, I really know. And then I'm like doubting it. And then I'm like, I, I wake up in the morning and like, what is it that I'm supposed to do? It's going to be aligned with my purpose. And then I start feeling like, like, I don't want to do that. I want to do like, I just want to hang out, you know, or like, I, I don't, I don't feel like meditating today. That's my purpose today. It's just to chill out, you know, and, and I'll give myself some grief for it. You know, like I recently posted this article that about how I was giving up my morning routine, like, and I had been doing it for a year and this is what got me out of depression. I started waking up early and I was consuming all of this content and one thing after another. So I was so excited about waking up early. And then after a while, like I started to get bored and then I would get re-energized with some, something new. Then I'll get bored really fast. And I would, when I got into lucid dreaming, I would often wake up and then go back to sleep thinking, this is what I feel like doing. And then it just caused me to sleep more. And then I really was starting to get depressed again because I was worried that I would slip back to my old self or something, you know? So I, st- I maintained this morning routine for a long time and I would want to keep, keep it going. And I'm like, and I would run out of stuff to do. Like I didn't have any, didn't have any new spiritual insights for a while or anything like that. And I started to feel bad, like, man, what am I doing wrong? You know? And, uh, and then it dawned on me that I don't have to have a morning routine. Like and it came right after I announced that I was going to write a book about my morning routine. <laughs> of course. You and then, and I post that. That was not the path, you know? And I post it. And then now my body's telling me sleep more, sleep more. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to sleep more. And then once I allowed myself to sleep in, it was like, yay, I don't have to maintain this thing that I thought I had to maintain. And and I don't know, I juggle back and forth between what is my calling because I love writing music and making music, but it's not anything that I make money with or I can change the world with or do any. I mean, I could if I felt like I wanted to, but it's like I just like to do things like that that bring you joy. And some of it, you have this pr- pressure that you feel like you have to, change the world or do something big or do something important with your talents and your gifts. So I, I'll, I'll find myself feeling bad about like, like I'm just want to, I just want to make music for me, you know, or like, or something or yeah. So what is your thoughts on purpose? I took your life purpose workshop and you know, you were talking a lot about joy and, and all this type of thing. So what's your opinion? Well, what you were just describing was a wobble, right? So it's like, it, it's like if you're in a boat and it wobbles and the wobble doesn't last just a second, you have to come back to center. And also if you're in a boat traveling in a river, there are going to be some places that are rapids. There are going to be some places that are calm. They're going to require different types of steering, different types of rowing or sailing or whatever. I think that the thing that our culture teaches us, because when you're saying, you know, I beat myself up, that's not you, that's culture. That's the enculturated belief of what you are and are not supposed to do. And what our cult, the way that it messes up, because like I said, there's many paths as there are people. So for one person to say another person's path is wrong, it's not necessarily accurate. You can't judge for anyone else. However, what you can look at is the amount of vitality that someone has or whatever. And what you're saying is you would do one that worked for a little while and then it didn't work. And that's okay. You were just shifting. And you also just said you came through this huge awakening. So of course there's going to be some like aftershocks for a while. Because your entire view of reality shifted. And I think this happens to lots and lots of people. And lots of people think, well, since I was sure I needed to get you know, a degree or make a certain amount of money or be CEO of a company or whatever it is, and now I'm not happy, then I should be able to know my other life purpose today or tomorrow. The whole point of my life, I should be able to know exactly what it is from here on out. But what usually happens is, especially during times of transition, which we're in hugely right now, 
we all have all these things that we're supposed to do. And so you will focus on one thing for a while. When I, each of my first two books, I wrote in under a month, each one. I just, I couldn't do anything else. I just sat and hammered these books out. And then I've been working on the third one since 2011. <laughs> and now it's 2014. So it just goes to show that the, the mission is not always the same. The, the thing that your that's your purpose is not always the same. Some days your purpose is to sit on the couch and eat junk food and watch TV because you need to decompress and equalize and calibrate. You know, that's important. We're not machines that can just get pushed. And even machines can't get pushed. They have to get re-oiled. They have to get retuned and cleaned and, and whatever, you know. Um, so I think that a lot of it is not in trying to intellectualize what should or shouldn't be done at any given time, but to feel it out like you are an instrument or like you are a vessel. And, and there are winds to consider and there's weather to consider. And the weather isn't necessarily literal water vapor in the sky weather, it's energetic weather. So if I need to make three phone calls, do I feel like I absolutely cannot make them right now and I must go to sleep? Or do I feel like I'm excited to make them? Or do I feel like I'm procrastinating to make them because there's actually something I'm afraid of that's in there? You know, a lot of people mistake those. A lot of people mistake procrastination for needing to rest both ways. Yes, yes, yes. You also know when it's you because when, if you come back to, okay, if I loved myself as much as I love the person I love most in the world, what would I tell myself to do? And sometimes it would be I'd make the damn phone call. And sometimes it's I'd go to sleep. And then if you do the thing that you need, so if you rest, then when you make the phone call, it's going to go 10 times better. It's going to be faster. It's going to work better because you're not trudging through mud to get there through energy. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point because I, I think about that all the time, like how to discern different types of motivation. Is it is am I motivated by laziness, procrastination, or is that a culture imprint? You know, that's basically saying if I'm not active today, then I'm lazy. Therefore, I must not be my higher self is going to be mad at me or something like that. Like, um, yeah. like I should really be making this song today. I really want to, but oh, or I should really be studying or doing this thing. And you know, you like there's certain things that you've deemed yourself important, and then you're avoiding them. And then there's this resistance, which I learned all about this resistance, you know, reading like Stephen Pressfield or something like that. So there's like, there's always a resistance between what you are, you know, what you want to do and, and this and that. But I've always have a hard time discerning like that inspiration from once the inspiration runs out, then it becomes work. And then the laziness or procrastination that you have. Well, and, it depends on yeah. the individual, right? I mean, you're, you're equation for that stuff is going to be different than anybody else's. And so I think that the thing to remember, one of the main things that I tend to come back to, because like any person, you know, we always are the hardest critics of ourselves. And one of mine is if, if you don't, if you need rest and you don't get rest, then you're probably going to get sick or you're going to need more or the things that you do are not going to be as effective. But if you need rest and you honestly look at your to-do list and you say, okay, what can I get out of the way? what needs to happen right now and what can wait until tomorrow or the next day. Because a lot of times things can actually wait, but we tell ourselves that they can't. And so if, or, or maybe you need to cancel a meeting. Oh, big deal. People do it all the time, you know? And so then you actually give yourself rest and you actually give yourself whatever it is you need. If rest for you means sleeping, if rest for you means running movies and watching them, if rest for you means going for a hike because you've been stuck in an office, you know? Um, once you do that, then you're reinvigorated. And then you're not dreading the stuff anymore because you remember why you like it because it's like any, it's like eating the same food all the time. Of course you're not going, even if it's your favorite food, you're going to get sick of it. But our, our culture has taught us that you're allowed to have two days off a week 
and the rest of the time you're supposed to work. And also that even during those two days off, you're not really allowed to have them off because that's when you have to do your yard work, you have to do your grocery shopping. It's it's not an accurate view of what life should necessarily be. I'm sure some people thrive in that environment, some segment of the population, not the entire population. And it's not the and and also the idea that people have about how much work it takes, work that they hate usually, that it takes to live a life that they can enjoy financially and prosperity-wise is usually very inaccurate. And once many people get that type of prosperity they've been working for their whole life, if they even get it, they're miserable because they have to work all the time so they can never actually even enjoy it. Or if they do, they're so stressed out about losing it. So you can see that the thing that's set up for us to do does not necessarily work. The people who live the, the you know, 2.5 kids, a dog, or the CEOs, or the, you know, whatever it is, they're not necessarily the happiest people. So, but some of them I'm sure are, you know? So it just depends. Yours, your job is to align with yours, whatever yours is. And one of the ways that people find it out is they get the goals, and then they realize, well, wait, this doesn't feel like what I thought it would feel like. Okay, let's just keep looking. And that's okay. It's okay to keep doing stuff and keep learning and changing your mind. In fact, it's better than just being stagnant in one purpose your whole life. Yeah, and I was just talking with someone. I was just talking with somebody uh, last week about purpose, and and he was basically reinforcing like like this whole you can't eat the same food for a long time because you get sick of it. And it's like that's exactly what it is. You just need to do something different to contrast again, get your mind thinking on different stuff, and it, and usually it will feel. I'll go through this cycle of inspiration, obsession. And then a saturation and then a jadedness and then like a falling out of whatever it was that I once loved. So I would so so the difference that's recently been shown to me is the way that we treat ends, the way that we treat endings of things. Because we're taught not to like them and to feel like something must be wrong if it ends. But I think that, and so what I think you're talking about the jadedness is is well because because it's true for a lot of us, we kind of almost get use new information, new hobbies is almost like a drug. It's like you get high on it and it gets you high and you're so excited and da, 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 da. And then eventually you integrate it so it doesn't get you high anymore. And that just means that now you have that information to store in and you can go to something else that's now calling you. But if every time you think, okay, this is going to be my life because I'm feeling this way about it, then that's not going to work if that's your pattern. Your pattern is to say, ooh, this is a new thing I can add. And so then once it's done, it's the difference between, you know how if you go out to dinner and you get a really delicious meal, but it's a lot of food <laughs> and you can't eat all of it, but it's really yummy and you know that you can bring it home and it's going to keep well and it'll be yummy leftover. So there's no like, oh no, I'm going to lose this if I don't eat all of it or oh no, I'm going to get in trouble if I don't clear my plate or whatever it might be. You just take that last bite and you're like, mm, that was good. I think I'm done, but that was great. And there's no sadness or, or feeling of failure. That's how you can look at endings of anything. That last bit. It's like when the autumn comes at the end of summer. If you live in a place that has a really beautiful autumn. And summer was amazing, but autumn's here. And you're just like, oh, that summer was great. Okay, on to autumn. And you're not sad the summer was over. And you don't feel betrayed by the summer because it ended. You know what I mean? And so what, what you're talking about is, I think, again, enculturated belief that if you're losing your passion for something, then that means that there's something wrong with you or there's something wrong with the passion, the thing that you were passionate about. But that's not necessarily true. It's just the clock. It can't be one o'clock all the time, you know? And, and we're very multifaceted beings. Those of us who are interested, I'd say all the people probably listening to this podcast have a lot of interests, interests they don't have time to get to all of in one day. 
So spreading it out over the course of weeks, months, even years is, I think, more accurate to what we should be doing. So saying that there's something wrong if we can't push pedal to the metal all the time on one subject, I don't think that's accurate. Yeah, I think this is a good place to transition into, you're talking about my audience, and the audience that reads my blog are typically people that have followed me through my creative projects in my early in my career, you know, leading up to now, where now I'm starting to talk about this type of thing. So it's, it's new to a lot of the people who have known me, but it's, it's refreshing to them. And they're like, oh, I've been having those thoughts too. I never heard anyone talk about it. So it's kind of like a turning, a turning on a little bit up to, to some people. And it's a new thing for me, a new thing for them. Um, but one thing that we all have in common is this sort of do-it-yourself entrepreneurial sort of starter where everyone's kind of like finding their passion and then pursuing their passion. And in my, in my festival that I founded several years ago, which now I'm leaving, it's been, there's been this uh, mantra of defy the hand you're dealt, make something out of nothing. Like, what is it that you do what you're meant to do? You know, this, this, that path thing. And it's all centered around being a maker, being a creator and being an artist. And that's usually what, I mean, I'm, a, I'm an artist all my life, so I've kind of, I'm always creating something more than I'm consuming. So it's for, for example, but so you're, you're in the same boat now, you know, now that you've been self-employed for two years, um, full time, you've been trying to take what you love and make a living at it, which seems to always be the common question that I always get is how do I do what I love full time? Mm-hmm. Well, Okay, so there are a few things to hit on. First one, the last thing you said, if you can figure out a way to take your passion, which is whatever you lose time doing, whatever you've always loved doing, the games you used to play when you were little, if you can look at them, your favorite games, and see how it translates into what you like now, if you can figure out what that is, which is a process, but all you have to do is set the intention, and it'll show itself to you eventually, and then figure out how to give that to the world in a way that is, somehow needed or somehow is assisted. And again, your reality will show this to you. It's likely that it already has. It's just shifting your antenna to notice it. Then the universe will take care of you. But I find that to be very true. Like I I think that's something that I've seen being proven true over and over and over with myself and others of all ages, of all lifestyles. If you, well, and you need to add, take good care of yourself. So sleep when you need to, eat what nourishes your body. Because you can be doing all those other things, but if you only ever eat, you know, um, fried corn chips and Dr. Pepper, no offense, Dr. Pepper, you know, but it's still, you're probably not going to have the building blocks really punch each day through. So um, that is something that I find to be really true. And then also when people are shifting their perspective so much, they're realizing, oh my gosh, I really want to do this other thing. And when I go to the job that pays my bills, I feel like I'm in a cage all day, you know, which I think many of us have gone through. I know I have. Then what you can start saying is, okay, and then talk to the universe like it's a living thing, because I think it is, because we're fractals. You know, I'm not saying it's something we need to worship. I'm saying just like your finger finger is a part of you, but it's also your finger. I think that we're us, and we're also part of a greater system that's also intelligent. So you can say, just like if your finger has an itch on it, you can say, excuse me, I have an itch, and another part of you will scratch it, right? Because there's a greater intelligence that hears the itch. So this is not me saying worship anything or pray any specific way or even pray at all. I think it's more of a technology, actually. So then say, this is what I would like. And you'll notice things start filtering in to give you what it is that you wanted. And you don't have to know exactly what it is. You can just say, I want to live a life where I wake up every day feeling really supported by the universe and really excited about what I get to do that day. Period. And you cannot know anything that it is because a lot of people say, well, I don't know what my purpose is. And you can say, 
okay, well then make, start making the request every night or every morning or both is even better to say, all right, I want to wake up feeling completely sure and driven and excited. And you don't need to know what your purpose is to necessarily feel that way. You can have little tasks. And the other thing about what you first said, that a lot of the people who you happen to know already are just kind of, I don't really like the term waking up because that implies that before was somehow sleeping, but I guess it's, it's also kind of true, but no judgment is what I'm trying to say here um, because we all have different specializations. But the people who are just realizing now the more esoteric, more spiritual or non-physical is I guess what I want to say. Parts of reality exist and matter and can be utilized and lived in as well as the physical realm. It used to be that in order to believe that you had to go way over on that side. I see it kind of like feminism. You know, 30 years ago, if a woman had wanted to be a CEO, she would have uh, often chosen, because that's the way that they did it in that cultural paradigm, to dress like a man, act like a man, be forceful like a man, get degrees that a man would get, and do all the things because men had figured out the way to become CEO. So in order to become CEO, the women copied the man's um, structure. But now that that's done, and so women are allowed to be CEOs, we as women, we don't have to do that anymore. We can stay feminine, we can stay soft and still be bosses, you know, and not need to be super masculine anymore. I think the spiritual world is doing the same thing. I don't think you have to go totally left wings and have dream catchers hanging from your ceilings and ambient music playing and always smudge everything out with white sage and dance around in silks. Although I like to do all those things, you know, <laughs> you don't necessarily need to do that in order to understand how the non-physical world works. You can be a completely you know, quote, normal person doing a completely conventional job with a family, with children, with, you know, Super Bowl parties. And you can also ride the moon phases with your intention. And you can also, you know, see what's going on astrologically and use that. And you can also use the law of attraction to manifest stuff. You know, they're not mutually exclusive. So I think a lot of people feel like their identity might be threatened if they go down this path. But that doesn't need to happen anymore. You can stay really balanced with it now because the people who were the forerunners before, they went super far out on the edge. So unless you like hanging out at the edge, you don't have to hang out there. Yeah, I love that perspective. I, it's so much more relaxing and so much more like accepting of like the ups and downs and the ebbs and flows of it, you know, because there is a pressure to to go all the way sometimes, like um, especially coming out of depression. Like I just I don't want to go back there, you know, even though I feel like, man, I have so much of I've, I've learned that I don't think I could ever really be in a depression because I look at depression completely different now as it as um, it's a symptom of a life that's not lived in alignment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's like when someone tells me they're depressed, I sometimes want to say, congratulations, you've reached the turning point. You've reached the point where you're now going to start living. <laughs> yeah, I think that's very true for a lot of people if they can get through the, through the tunnel of it. Mm -hmm. And it's really tough because you'll, you have habits that you become, that you may have numbed or, or fears and pains that you may have numbed that now you're like open to dealing with. Mm -hmm. And for example, for me, like, a lot of scary stuff has been coming my way that I've, I never even thought I, I thought I woke up and had an awakening and, and there's all this talk about enlightenment and, and the end of suffering. And uh, if you just live in the moment, you'll never experience pain or suffering. You know, there's that sort of, <laughs> that's funny. That's very much not true at all. <laughs> I know I'm finding that out. And, and then it's like, so there's all sorts of pain <laughs> and suffering that it's like existence, you know, like we came here to feel all of it not to feel half of it. And if you remember that all of it is really just that, an experience, then 
you can feel the pain and the pain can even sometimes be really beautiful and you don't stay in it. You pass through it and it teaches you something really awesome and valuable that then you have in your tool belt later and you don't have to stay there. Yeah, and so the, this comes up with fear all the time. A lot, the fear always seems to be a conversation that has happened through um, lots of articles and through our festival the past couple of years um, where people want to do what they love, but they're so afraid to jump off the cliff or, and that's just a, a basic thing. Like, okay, so I finally built up the courage to, to leave my business and my festival, which was a large part of my identity. And, and it took me a long time to realize that I had an attachment to it and, and it was causing me a lot of depression. So even though it's a good thing, I had to let it go. And so now there's like this, it definitely feels like you're hanging on to the riverbank of life and then you don't want to go over the waterfall. But I had a, a dream that I went over the waterfall and it was like paradise on the other side. And it was like, you know, you don't really think that when you're feeling all of the fear. And so what's your perspective when you're in the moment of feeling that fight or flight that's, that your life, your universe is now presenting you with your biggest boss challenge that you've ever had to face? Well, luckily, by this point, I've been through it enough times that I recognize what's happening. So it's the difference between um, feeling like you're helpless or feeling like, okay, I know this terrain. I've been here before. I know what works and what doesn't work. And usually, I feel like what works is releasing resistance. So say you need to cry, just cry. It's not a big deal, you know? Well, that's part of it is nothing ever has to be a big deal ever. You can have the craziest stuff happen and just roll with it and deal with it. Now, it doesn't mean you're not gonna feel and it doesn't mean you're not gonna be sad or hurt or whatever, but as far as the actions you take, you can always just roll with things. And um, something about this type of path too is that the people who are, stretching to the forefront, even if it's what they knew. And then they find out other people. I wanted to link mind, body, spirit, medicine. That's why I got my first master's in health. And then I realized about halfway through that tons of people had already done that. I thought I was at the forefront of this field, but they've been doing it since the seventies. I just didn't know because I had never been exposed to that research. So then I was like, okay, well that can't be my mission because a bajillion other people have already done that. So I guess I have to shift. So what you can look at it as rather than, oh no, now I have to have an ego death and go through the pain of losing what my identity was. What you can imagine is say you're on a journey, you know, have you ever visited the, the caves inside the earth, like the stalactite and stalagmite chambers or those underground rivers that open up into these huge caverns that are gorgeous. And then you're in one of these rooms and it's beautiful, but the path keeps going. Another hallway goes. So eventually you're going to leave the room that you're in because you're going to find the other hallway that keeps going. It doesn't mean that you have to be super upset about leaving the room that you were in because it's so beautiful. The next one might be more beautiful or you could always just come back, you know, so if a lot of people also feel like these leaps of faith all the time are jumping into this abyss, that's hardly ever true. And I'm also finding that people need to take less and less drastic leaps of faith. It's kind of the hundredth monkey syndrome. It seems like a lot more people are learning more about this type of existence. So the, the one that is kind of like a sailboat in the universe rather than like a drill, you know what I mean? And so what we can now do is ask, say, okay, universe, I am totally all about changing stuff. Just make it clear where I'm supposed to go. Make it clear where I'm supposed to step. And I'm not going to step until it's clear. But as soon as it is clear, I will step. But if you, if you do that, know that you have to actually do it when it shows up. Because if you say that and it shows up and then you don't go, you get stuck in your fear or your doubt or whatever it is, and you don't go, your life's going to get really difficult because everything's just lined up for you. And then you 
click yourself out of alignment and then it's like all the winds are against you and it could be difficult and scary and you'll probably end up doing the thing you wanted to do anyway because it's just you working out your own fears but sometimes a leap of faith is necessary but almost always almost always you can say i want to at least see where I'm going here. I want to at least know. Only every now and then does it happen that you take a completely unknowing physical leap of faith where you actually have to drop something without knowing where you're going or you know, quit your job without having income. That happens sometimes, but I don't think it needs to happen that often anymore. You can line things up. Mm -hmm. And that has to go with yeah. how well you're taking care of yourself when you're in a situation that you don't like. So say someone is struggling with their depression about work and they hate going to work. Well, make sure you go to the gym every day. You know, because if you go to the gym and you keep your muscles strong and keep the energy flowing through your body, then it's going to be a lot easier to then shift when it's time to shift. Even though you hate your job, you're doing one thing that's taking really good care of yourself. And so you're at least keeping that sail in the right wind. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And I like that. I like your statement about nothing has to be a big deal ever, you know, because I don't know, maybe maybe it's a masculine thing where it's like, you know, oh my God, this is, the, this is a battle and like, or, or like everything sort of seems to turn into a battle. And I love the idea of just like, whenever I have visions of my higher self, it's always this sort of sense of humor about things. Like it's, it's fine. Like it's okay. You know, like, and so, so say here's an example of like, I felt this intense fear. Um, and then I was afraid of doing what I needed to do, what I knew I needed to do. And I sort of, I there was a feeling of like, I have to do it the most scary way. In order for it to count, right? <laughs> In order for it to count. <laughs> and then and then I'm like, but if, because if I don't, it's just going to keep haunting me and chasing me until I do the scariest damn thing I ever had to do. Sometimes that's true. You know, sometimes that's true for somebody. It, maybe that's something you had to do to really prove to yourself that you could. But I don't think that's necessarily always true. And the whole warrior paradigm, I understand. I have pieces of myself that are in there. Like I've, I've definitely, I've chosen the hard road many times. But then what you can do when you're in that fear place is, okay, get really logical. If you can, you know, and say, take a few deep breaths, quiet yourself down and be like, okay, what is actually likely to happen here? Not what is the worst case scenario. What is, look around, you know, see your terrain, whatever that means for the situation. And what is actually likely to happen? And then you work with what's actually likely to happen. And if you ever freak out one or the other, you can think, okay, that time, the thing I wanted most in the universe happened. And then now here I am, still fine, chilling. Some things are good in my life. Some things are bad in my life, whatever. That time, the, the worst case scenario, the thing that I wouldn't ever have wanted to happen ever, it happened. And things are cool now. I'm okay. So there are some challenges and there are some awesome things in my life, right? So at any given time, the best case or the worst case scenario can happen and you'll be fine. What's more likely to happen is something along the middle road. And so when you're in those spots of, oh, no, I have to do the most epic thing in order for it to count, maybe. But what I would, what I would always recommend is taking a view. Look at your terrain. How can, you, how can you tell the type of vehicle you need if you don't know if you're on land or water, it's cloudy or misty or bright? Or, you, know, you have to look and see where you are. You can't always just navigate by what's inside. The inside is your compass, but the outside is your weather. So it's okay to not take these huge leaps of faith before you're ready. But if you're ready, you feel like you need to do it. And also, the, I know the feeling you're describing, and there is some amount of excitement about it. There's an amount of like, this is a test, and it's a gauntlet, and I'm going to run through it, and it's going to be awesome. And sometimes we set those up for ourselves because these lives, we're just playing dress up. 
And if you look at what kids are doing when they have their dress-up box with all the different costumes in it, they don't dress up and go have tea parties and make cookies all the time. They have wars. They lock each other in, in dungeons. They kill each other, you know? And, and so what, what is fun to us, even though when we're inside the program, we're like, oh, no, it's so dramatic, and I'm so hurt, and I'm so happy, and da 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 And you can absolutely do that. I love ups and downs. But you also remember that it's not actually real because consciousness is eternal. And there's no such thing as time. And the physical world is just one perspective. And usually the thing that's scaring you is not in the physical world at all. We're not really talking about getting charged by a bear here. You know, we're talking about wondering what's going to happen to your bank account four months in the future for most of it. You know what I mean? Something like that. Yeah, or, or ultimately being abandoned or something like that. Like, you know, you spent, you spent a whole part of your career building up a certain profile or a certain thing, of, and then you're... You talk about the going through the ego death. Like a lot of people say that that's sort of a rite of passage or a necessary thing that you have to experience. To greater heights. <laughs> it doesn't stop because it's part of life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And um, and I always wonder what is it that I'm going to do that's going to count the most in order for me to get this thing out of my life or to, to finish it, to end this chapter of suffering or whatever the, the problem seems to be. And the first time I went through it, it was like, I thought I did the right thing, and um, and it seemed to have left, and then all of a sudden it came roaring back, and it was like, oh, here it is again, like, it came, it came back, and then at this point, mentally, I decided that I'm done with it, I, I, and I did what I felt like was the scariest thing to do, and, and, uh, and I want to ask, is it going to come back? <laughs> is it going to come back to me? It depends, well... Hearing the way your voice sounded when you asked that, I would say probably yes, because there's still some fear in there about whether it comes back. The the way that you actually get get over these challenges and get through them is to not care. You know, like if it happens, yeah. it's just like, okay. And then it doesn't need to happen because the way, the, what these things are like, so you can imagine, you know, someone's aura, which is the electromagnetic field that a person produces. It's the way that they study some heart, some heart tests actually are taking um, data from what can be called the aura, which is also the electromagnetic field. And so there, it's not only a cloud of energy, it's also kind of a network, um, like a circulatory system, but of electricity and electromagnetism rather than blood or lymph or something. And when you have one of these things, what you can imagine is that it's like a wound or like a sore or a bruise somewhere in your aura. Okay, and so as you're, if you start circulating more and more energy around, which is what you always want, which is how you grow, then eventually that new energy you're circulating is going to hit the bruise. And so what the way that the anatomy of this process goes, what I would say from what I've seen and experienced, is that first thoughts are going to come up. Well, first emotions are going to come up that don't feel good, and they're going to have absolutely no reason to be there. And you're going to look around and say, I don't know why I feel this way. And what you can do, what it is possible to do, and I know because I've just figured this out in the past year or so, is pamper yourself and take good care of yourself because of the emotion as if there were a problem. So you don't need to actually have a problem. You can say, oh, I'm feeling really tender today. My heart hurts today. Why? There's no real reason, but I'm just going to treat myself like there were. Like maybe I just went through a bad breakup. Like that didn't actually happen, but that's what my heart feels like, right? There was no breakup. There was no anything. But I'm just going to lay on the couch and, and read books and write in my journal and drink tea and, and treat myself gently because that's what my heart needs. Or, and this is what's more common, you can say there's nothing wrong. Get, you know, suit up. 
get back to where you're at. Forget about it. There's nothing there. And then what will happen is that something will happen in your reality to reflect that feeling. And that's a lot of times where the people go, I knew I could feel something was coming, something was about to happen. That's not necessarily true. You can get over it when the feeling comes. You can get through it because it's all about the feeling. And so if the thing actually shows up, then you have to go through the drama of it. Or you don't. You can step out of it at any time. And especially if it's interpersonal fear or interpersonal drama, you know, um, losing a friend, having a falling out, that kind of thing. What you'll find is the moment that you can step out of it and essentially say, I'm not judging you. I'm not, I, I have no opinion or I'm trying to have no opinion about you as a person. But this whole thing that we're doing, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to step away. If you want to come back and, and be grown-ups, then I might be willing to do that with you, depending on where I'm at with my own issues. But, but I'm not going to engage in this with you. And especially the first few times that happens, it is really freaking hard to do because we're used to battle battles. You know, but what, what you'll fi then find out is it gets easier and you have progressively less judgment because then you know whenever people are jerks, it's because they're in their trigger. It's because they feel like they're in danger and they have to protect themselves or something that they love. That's the only reason why anyone is ever a jerk. And so more, there, there are easier and harder ways to experience that coming from somebody else. But once you can see it for what it really is, then it doesn't have anything to do with you. It's one of those, um, one of those moments where you can say, okay, your opinion of me is just your opinion of something. It's your, you, can, you can tell me that it's a verifiable fact that I'm, you know, I don't know selfish, right? Like you could say, because of all the reasons you have, I'm a selfish person. You think I'm a selfish person. Okay, that's fine. You can think I'm a selfish person all day long. That's your opinion of me. That has nothing to do with what I actually am. That has everything to do with your filters and what you're, I mean, maybe it's coming up to show you that you're a selfish person. Maybe it's coming up to show you that a huge fear you have is of someone calling you a selfish person. And actually you're too far on the other end of the spectrum and you're too unselfish. And so you've attracted a bunch of people around you who are used to feeding on you. So in the moment that you do something that aligns you with a normal amount of self-care, the people who are used to you just being disempowered do not like it. That happens all the time. Yeah, and, and I think that, that it has a lot to do with sort of psychic vampirism too. Like the people will, it's like you put up the boundary of the wall and then it's like, oh, I can't get you anymore. And there's like a, uh, a withdrawal symptom. It's, they're offended. They're saying, why aren't you letting me feel on you anymore? I thought we were doing this. You know, and, and even when you're dealing with someone who is a psychic vampire, um, because the, the term vampire denotes an archetype that, is, that exists in all people. You know, just watch a baby drinking milk. Like, that's classic vampire pose. You know what I mean? It's an archetype. It exists in everyone. But when people go out of whack with it and start preying on other people, it's because that's how they – everyone always thinks they're doing what they're supposed to do. You just look at the love paradigm in our culture. It's mostly codependency. Like, what people believe is love. Watch a romantic comedy. Usually, it's codependency. It's, I'm not okay without you. Therefore, I must be with you. That's not actually love. So just because right. someone's being a vampire, it doesn't mean they're a bad person. It's almost certain that they don't know any other way. Yeah, and I, I believe everyone's doing what they need to do for their own personal growth, you know? It's like, and to get, to understand that and to not have that judgment is where I want to be, is to, is to be able to not care. Like, there's that, I love that, such a freeing thing. It's like, you care, but you're detached, right? You're, you're, you don't have like this drama associated with yeah, it and you're comfortable it's whether or not you feel dramatic on the inside or not things can seem very dramatic on the outside and you can just be kind of hanging out on the inside laughing at it 
But uh, I mean, it's always important. Really what it is is everybody wants to be heard and everybody wants to be important. Everybody wants to be loved. And so if people feel like they're disempowered, or if they feel like they're not being heard, or if they feel like they're being mistreated, they're going to have a problem with it. And they'll probably attack because there's a very strong victim warrior paradigm in our archetype right now that is the only time that people can be empowered and be, you know, a badass is if there's something to fight against. And that means that if they want to be empowered, which everybody does, they're going to keep finding villains in their reality. And it's going to be the same story with a different name over and over and over so that they can be empowered. That's a huge thing in art. Look at half the movies. Why does the guy go to war? Because someone messed with his stuff. And so now he's got to go back to war. You know what I mean? It's, it's a story. And it's okay. It's a perfectly fine story because there are lots of people who like playing that out and play it out as much as they want. But if you don't want to play it out, then there is some amount of unplugging. And then it's, okay, well, there's all this stuff that I would have thought about before. What do I do with this mental power now? Oh, I can put it towards something else. Okay. And I can just let it go. Okay. And what a lot of people will also see that as is you've abandoned me. You don't love me because you won't engage in this drama with me. And that's something that it's, it's kind of hard to deal with because you have to find the balance between you and that relationship of, no, I still love you and I'm here for you if you need me, but I'm not going to engage in this drama with you. And I think I think that's the best way to heal too is to be able to establish that that boundary and and then just admit to yourself that you're done and then that and then you don't care about the results you know or the the outcome so to speak or you're you're more comfortable with how things are going to fall out and I think that's that's good too so if someone say if someone's leaving or making a giant leap of faith if they come to terms with you know what's going to happen to them afterward and then they're okay with it and like you said they don't just treat it like it's not no big thing you know. I think that's that's kind of what our higher selves do anyway. Yeah, well, yeah, because our higher selves see that we're like in a Sims program. So how can they get upset about it? You know what I mean? But if you can say the worst case scenario might happen and the best case scenario might happen. But there's a really popular um, quote that's something about life's not about what happens to us. It's about how you deal with it. You know, that's one that's passed around all the time. And if the worst case scenario happens, then the worst case scenario happens. If the best case scenario happens, the best case scenario happens. What's all that's going to matter is whether or not you're lucid and you can deal with whatever comes your way. Because it's likely that neither the worst nor the best case scenario is going to happen. Something's going to happen that you didn't expect if you're taking a leap of faith. Because a leap of faith is just allowing your entire paradigm to shift. And if that happens, then by definition, something unexpected would kind of have to happen. Yeah. So, Karis, um, indulge me in a story of one of your struggles or you know or fears recently what kind of what kind of, i mean that's a really something that's you know like we're talking about fear um and overcoming overcoming fear okay well um let's see i just finished a just about a year-long constant travel um and in the beginning of that I knew that I needed to go somewhere. I knew I, I wasn't where I was supposed to be. It felt like I was banging against a wall all the time. And I knew I had to get out of the city that I lived in. Didn't know where I was supposed to go. Nothing was opening up. Um, and somehow it occurred to me, I don't remember how this happened. It was probably lots of little things have been built of, of structure in my mind. But it was that I should just travel, just travel without a destination. And see what happened. And luckily for me, I'm someone who does 95% of my work on the internet. So as long as I had an internet connection, I was making the same money that I would be making if I was in a city, right? Um, and the thing was, I didn't know where I was going to go. I knew where I was going to go for about 
anywhere from a few days to a month out. In the very beginning, um, I had an experience with a guy who came through mentally and said, just so you know, and this was, I think it was actually as I was driving away the first time because I got everything in order. I got two destinations ahead of me and I said, okay, I'm going to go and then I'm going to figure it out. Because, and they told me, just so you know, you're not going to know more than two months ahead for a while. So you better get used to it. And they were like ground into the travel the way that you would normally ground into a place. So you get your rhythm, get your, you know, everything you need, pare your possessions down so that you can always go. You know, I had my car, I was driving around the U.S. And so I had my car with me. And so it was get what can comfortably fit in a car, which you don't really don't need more of anyway. And so do that. And I did. And sometimes it was really freaking scary. And sometimes I took the harder road because I knew that if I, once in a while, I knew that if I took the harder road, then I would get through it faster. If I took the harder road willingly, I knew that it's, it's kind of like ripping off the Band-Aid, you know, like the purge and the, the re, um, restructuring of whatever that ego bit is that's getting upgraded, right? Getting destroyed to get rebuilt by the universe. And so <clears throat> there were some times in there where I had no idea where I was going to go um, very soon. And if that was that case, though, and I think this is true for just about everyone, there are always contingencies, right? Like if, if, if everything would have been totally terrible and my business had absolutely failed out of nowhere and I had had nowhere to go, and da, 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 there's always family I could have gone to see. You know, that never actually happened, but I did have to go there in my mind a few times to say, okay, if things go absolutely wrong, what will I do? And it was, well, I don't want to do that, but I could if I had to. And so that means that, I don't have to send a lot of energy toward fearing that and picturing it and imagining it and thinking how I'm going to guard against it because that's still magnetizing it to me, you know. And so what it really was was teaching me how to trust the universe. And so then when I stopped traveling, now I'm grounded here in Sedona at least for a while, um, I didn't realize that I was going to stop, but things just kind of filtered in to make me, you know, like um, – uh, the place that I was staying was really beautiful and it opened up for me to stay long term. And I was like, hmm, well, I've been traveling so long that I wasn't used to not traveling. I just kind of assumed I would keep going. So I had to stop and think, do I want to stop traveling? Do I want to see what that's like? And I decided to because judging from the weather around me, how things were opening up for me to stay and I wasn't really getting much on how to go, then it made more sense for me to stay. But that was a pretty big leap of faith. It was a city that I had no family in. I had friends in, but they were all new friends. I didn't grow up here, you know, and so it was one of those things where any of the safety valves and about reasons you might pick things for logical purposes weren't really there. And that happens to me all the time. And so that's why it's kind of scary. Um, it's difficult for me to think of a scary situation because even if things are scary, I've done it before. So I know that something will happen. Something will always happen, you know. And sometimes it's important that you go through a while of not knowing because you have to let go of stuff and it has to clear out of you. And maybe you have an unhealthy attachment to some part of a process of what you were doing. And if something else shows up right there, then you would just attach that same unhealthy process to the new thing. It wouldn't actually redo it for you. Yeah. And that kind of happened too with, uh, with my book. Like I thought that since I'm going to be going out on my own, I need like a reliable income source. So it's like, well, I better hurry up and get this product out, you know? That'll be my, my main source of income. You know, that's one thing. I, one thing I have learned is when people are like, okay, this is a sure thing. Sometimes it is, but sometimes it is not. Logic does not run that stuff, you know? Yeah, I know. And it's so, and now it's like, 
I've started to get some people in, in my life that have been telling me like, you're going through a major change. Why jump into like a new major project so quick? You need to take some time to rest. And I was like, oh, wait, you're right. I don't have to make this such a big deal. Like, right. I think it's just like, yeah, that's just a, and also it's, it's our own emotional fluency. Um, so whether or not we can feel empowered if we're not all over the place emotionally, a lot of people, that's how they get kind of their fire for life is being scared, being happy, being scared, being happy. And then if you can, zoom out and notice that all those emotions that you're usually feeling are just playing against the surface of your consciousness. They're not actually who you are. And you can still really enjoy them and really feel them. It's not like you're saying you can't do that anymore. You absolutely can and you should. Sometimes it makes it even better because you can be all scared. Also knowing deep down that you're probably going to be fine. But you can go through the fear and stuff like that. Um, and that really just changes everything because what is most common, now there are some people who could tell you some crazy stories and there are reasons why they're, they fear for their life and things like that. But for the most part, none of us have undergone any huge, epic, crazy, traumatic tragedies. You know, like most of us don't have any horrible thing that happened to us. Usually it's all these little things that have deep triggers in us because they're the stuff that we've gone through. So if we really bring it back to what's likely to happen and what will I do if that happens, what you'll usually find is what's likely to happen is pretty anticlimactic. Usually when it does happen, even things that we thought were such a huge deal, even when they do happen, they're still usually pretty anticlimactic. Because this dimension, 3D, is a kind of anticlimactic dimension. These times, the world that we live in, in this culture, there are not bombs going off everywhere. There's not fire falling from the sky. Um, for us right now, hopefully there won't be. Hopefully there will be less and less of that all over the planet all the time. But we don't have to worry about those things. The things that we need to worry about are emotions, our health, our alignment, and that's the things that we can learn how to pretty easily navigate if we just pay attention to them and honor what we need. So this is a good time to actually talk about, we talked about your awakening, we talked about fears, challenges, and lessons, star seeds, life purpose stuff. Um, I want to get into the practical matters of how you uh, survive, make a living doing this type of stuff. I see you do workshops, and you've, um, do you sell your book? You sell your book, right? Yeah, you can get them on Amazon. Oh, and I, the first one's available in Kindle. The second one, not yet. So, what's what's your, if you don't mind me asking, like for transparency's sake, to help other makers and stuff like that do what they did, so they can basically make their living entirely online, so they can have freedom to travel, which is something I definitely want to do. And I, I have never really traveled outside of Ohio much, so like doing workshops and doing and teaching and stuff like that is a major part. But like for you, how has that experience been? Well, in the beginning, I had absolutely no business plan. I didn't, my brain is not really um, business plan friendly. I don't have a very organized left brain. So my right <laughs> brain obviously is all over the place, like seeing all these things, interpreting and, and divining all the time. But as far as having a solid uh, logical path, I didn't have one. I don't know personally. I do now because some of my friends have started doing it. But when I started, I didn't know anyone who did what I did um, and made a living doing it. So that was a complete leap of faith. And what I've found out was over the years it structured itself so that um, it made sense for me and I did trial and errors everything I did did not necessarily work I failed at tons of things now not necessarily different types of stuff I've always been along the same path but as far as the work that I do but there were projects that worked projects that didn't work retreats that I held retreats that fell through you know people registered for stuff they didn't sometimes I lost money or time sometimes I gained it but what I find that for me what is in my bank account has nothing to do with logic and everything to do with alignment. 
if I stop exercising, my reality gets less solid. If I stop meditating, things don't go quite well. If I get epiphanies and don't act on them, because the way that the work comes to me is through epiphany. So I'll get a huge idea. Like the, I actually just had a class start today, which is called Activate Your DNA. I've been um, consciously working with my DNA for a few years now. And then just a couple months ago, it came to me in this huge flash that I should teach this because I'm at a point where um, I have understood the structure of it, of the process enough to give to other people to customize themselves and do. And so that came. But before I'm actually teaching the class, I don't get all the information. I've tried so many times to do it ahead of time and have it ready to go and da 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 It never works, no matter how much I want to. So my personal process is I get the idea. I structure it enough as I can to tell people that it's coming and anyone who's interested can be a part of it. And then once it actually starts is when it comes to me, not even, sometimes not even a day before. And so there is a lot of trust, but now I'm used to the, I'm used to the terrain so I can do it. And it's not such a terrifying thing anymore because I kind of know what to expect. But I also live a life that's not very, and this is just a personal choice. Everyone doesn't necessarily have to do that. And it always oscillates, you know, but the life that I live is not one that's necessarily that financially expensive. I eat um, organic food almost exclusively, but I also cook almost exclusively. So it's not actually that much more expensive. If it is more expensive at all, I'm not even sure it is. I know that now I never worry about my grocery bill. Back before I ate organic and when I was doing things I didn't love and thinking about money all the time, I worried about my grocery bill a lot. So the universe kind of um, calibrates to give you what works for you. Also, if I'm holed up in my home too long and don't have social interaction because I can be um, a hermit sometimes, you know, like that archetype of someone who doesn't necessarily want to go out and be with a bunch of people, that's okay as long as it's in alignment. But if I do it too long and I need social interaction, I don't get it, things start to fall. My ideas dry up. My process doesn't work as much anymore. And so there, the way that my work life works right now is I do readings and I do um, – workshops and classes online. Occasionally I'll do a retreat or a workshop in the physical and that provides me with an existence that is one that I don't have to worry about not having enough money to survive. Um, and, yeah. and it, but, but like I said, my existence is generally cheap. I don't have hugely expensive taste. The car I drive is not a top of the line car, which one day it probably will be and that's fine too. I'm just saying that the way that I think about things is more um, experiential. So it's more like what will make me feel the, great, the greatest right now. And a lot of times it's something like being out in nature. A lot of times it's something like spending time with a friend, which matters to me more than something that would cost a lot of money. And so that has made it easier for me to make the shift because I didn't need that much capital in order to do it because that stuff didn't really matter to me, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's not to say that people who, like making money is not actually a difficult thing. It's all about manifestation. So people who would like to like make a lot of money, that's fine. In fact, money is not even usually a physical thing anymore. It's usually just a number on a computer screen, but it directs our life so much. So it's all about just whether you're in alignment and whether or not you found the thing that you can kind of offer as the thing you give and then if you can receive what the universe is trying to give you. And that's what's hardest for a lot of people, I think is receiving. Like you said earlier, you give more than you receive. Most people who are teachers, light workers, healers, um, you know, confidants to their friends, the caretakers, they give more than they receive. And the hardest thing is learning how to receive and trust that you'll be taken care of. It's like one of those trust falls that you do with your friends. They're really scary until you do it and you see that you're safe and then it's really fun. So what is your, uh, if you can take, 
differentiate between the workshops and your book and your readings and your in-person? What is your major, like more consistent, reliable source? Um, the, my readings are pretty consistent and my classes mm -hmm. are pretty consistent. My book's not at all. I don't, when people say that people write books to make money, I laugh because I have made like the amount of money I've made on my books. I don't even, I don't even know what it is. It's that small. So I didn't, I thought, oh, yeah. I thought that when I wrote them, they, it, it was good. Cause I knew a lot of people needed to read it cause I could feel it. And I, that's true for any work. If you feel like you need to create something, it's cause there are people out there who need it. And yeah, I get emails from people all the time telling me how it, it gave them what they needed. But as far as financial stability, that does not come from my books at all. And that's okay with me. It's not, that's not that important because I'm comfortable other ways. So. And I noticed from your workshops, it seems like you do, like you just throw up the workshop topic, people pay to sign up, and then, then they get a series of emails that, are, that have your videos in them and they kind of guide them through the workshop. Well, those are the classes. The workshops are kind of a one-time thing that it'll be like a two-hour live thing that it's like a workshop. And the classes are the videos. And like I said, it's fractal information. And that's why <clears throat> the videos for my classes are usually 10 minutes or less. They're not usually very long at all. But if the way that they're designed is that if people actually implement what's in there, there are massive shifts of consciousness that take place by the class material building on itself as it goes through. But it's a definitely a different paradigm. It's not, you know, read 18 read from page 18 to page 47 by Friday and write this and do that. That's a, it, that's very left brain knowledge, very left brain education. Mine's very right brain. So it's, you know, ponder this, try this out, think about it, journal about this. How does it make you feel? And the next time we'll build on it. Yeah. Cause I was, I was wondering, I know that when I write my book, it's going to be an insane amount of work, like to, to write all the content that I would want to write. And then I want to interview a lot of people. And then I want to include those interviews and packages and stuff. This is the way I've written and launched a book in the past. And it, and it worked really well. And I've seen and I, all these other authors who are releasing digital products come into my awareness. And then I'm like, oh, my God, they're doing it so awesomely. Like like this one guy, um, he's, he was a, a hand letterer. So he was known for his lettering ability. They would always post on Instagram and stuff. He decided to, he read a book. Well, okay, long story short, he decided to release a, a class, like learn how I do this. And the way that he did it, when he launched it, he made $94,000 in two days by launching his video. And I'm like, like, that seems like insane to me. Of course, this guy is a perfectionist. He's, he's, he's an amazing talent. There are people who are perfectionists and amazing talents and have a solid product and it doesn't work. It's about being in alignment. He was in alignment. Yes. And he was, a, he really is. and he was running a program which he he hit what he experienced was making a ton of money right there. Some people don't experience making a ton of money. Some people experience getting connected with someone who say owns property in a place and needs them to watch it, and so they get this other huge pop of abundance because of a connection they made because of the work they did, not the amount of dollars that come into their bank account. Remember, so so the way that we live is not only about dollars, but sometimes that's amazing. Like you look at Kickstarters and people make all this money about this this one tiny little idea and it's right. amazing, right? For those of us who are like, okay, how do we make money on this? This is what you're looking at. Okay, it's the money. What do you do with the money? But it's never the money. It's always the alignment. Sometimes the money comes in, in and sometimes it doesn't. But if you're aligned, even if you don't make $94,000 or whatever it is, you're going to be taken care of. You're going to have everything that you need. And that's a great perspective that is, uh, it is one that is like, okay, do what you love. Can you make a living doing what you love? There's all, you know, in, in where I come from, 
it's like everyone's trying to, but like everyone's scraping by. And there's only a few people that seemed like they're really killing it, you know, killing it is, is, is the word that they would use. But I love your perspective of it's, it's don't worry about the cash, worry about the alignment. Like that is ultimately what it is. And then the universe will work together to help you get to sustain you to allow you to keep staying in alignment. Yeah. And some of the most, some of the most wealthy physically people that I've known are some of the most unhappy ones. And I'm not saying that wealth makes you unhappy because I've known a lot of really unhappy people who are poor, right? But what I am saying is wealth doesn't make you happy. So you can be happy and be very wealthy. I mean, the, the, I plan on just becoming more and more wealthy as my life goes on and creating more and more things that can make people's lives more awesome if they choose to take them, you know? Plan on one day having lots of philanthropic stuff go on, that kind of thing. But up until then, you know, it's not necessarily that important that I'm pushing for that particular thing because the life that I live right now is pretty darn abundant. I have as much food as I need in my fridge. I live in a beautiful place. I love the place I live. I have great friends. Because I don't have a lot of, like, I don't have $10 million of padding in the bank yet. One day I probably will. But that's not what I'm aiming for. You know what I mean? That's not what matters to me. Now, if I did have that, I'd have a whole other set of stuff I was thinking about. Right. Because you because then that brings a different view of reality into your reality. And so that's something that some people thrive on. Some people don't. In my perspective, I would want to hire people to take care of that. I wouldn't want to have to do that myself. That doesn't sound fun to me. And a lot of right. people don't think about that aspect of it. You know, they just think, oh, well, if I make enough dollars, then my life will be effortless. I've never seen that to be true ever. Not once. And so it's no mo mo money, mo problems. <laughs> that is what they say. <laughs> <laughs> so. And I was going to say something too. It's like um, most of the people that I know that are creators that want to make a living doing what they do, doing what they love, really they just worry about having enough money to, to allow them to do the thing that they would want to do for free. So they're not they don't have to work a second job or they don't have to be a starving artist. So many people believe that they have to be a starving artist in order to do it. Like, okay, I want to paint. I can't make a living painting. I would I, I would talk to my dad too. He was he's been a, a mechanic his whole life. And he and it wasn't really in alignment with his passion, and um, it was tough, you know. And so it's like I would talk to my dad about doing what you love, and he's like, "Not everyone's like you, you know. Quit yeah, acting like do that, yeah, yeah." And yeah, and I'm like, I believe that you can, you know. I believe that you should be in alignment with your true purpose, but yeah, but well, then again, it's maybe some people want a life. I mean, on a deeper level, their higher selves want a life that they're that they do their passion as a hobby and their purpose and their, and their living, they make a way that is not necessarily a passion. That's okay to do too. There are lots of people who process while they, I knew um, a couple of friends of mine back when I lived in another town, I knew a couple of women who would on the weekends for extra money, they would clean hotel rooms in these hotels in town. And they were like, actually, I love doing it. I process so much. Like I think so much doing that. It's something that people would think, well, who's going to clean up? Who's going to, there are people who do it because they get their best thinking done, their best ideas, their best manifestation work came when they were doing that kind of passive activity. So you never know what works for somebody else. Your dad lived a whole life of not doing his passion. That was okay for him, obviously, because that's what happened. So somewhere up there is higher self wanted that to happen. And so for you, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the same path as what you're on. And that's okay too. Neither one of them have to reflect the other in order to be valid. And I think that um, something that it's really important that people remember is that, like we were saying at the beginning of the call, the purpose will change. It's going to shift. 
And if you stay in alignment, then you're fluid with it too. And also you'll notice that you're always still taken care of. And that's how you also know. If everything dries up all of a sudden, you need to pay attention to something. Either it's that you need to live an aesthetic life for a little bit, which does sometimes happen to teach you super valuable stuff, or you need to tweak something, or even more likely you need to take a break and then come back once you're rejuvenated. Yeah. I think that's that's pretty spot on, you know, and I think I don't know if there's really much more we can say about it. I think that, I, you know, that's always been a topic of conversation. And and it's, it's a perfect example of why that one gentleman made so much money, because that's been he he does it so much because of the love for it, you know, um, in, in, in the spiritual community. Yeah. Oh, perfect. One more thing about that, which is the spiritual community, is that there's yes. an incorrect. Well, I don't want to say incorrect like it's a test, but um unhealthy, right? So it's, it's skewed, meme thought process about money. And it's a belief that money is evil. Money is the root of all evil, you know, more money, more problems, or um, all the terrible things that happen in our world happen as a result of people with money. And that's not true. Money is an energy. It's like water. If you don't have enough water, you'll die. I don't know if that's true for money. You could find something to do. But you know, if you don't have enough water, you'll die or water can drown you. So it's not the water that's the problem. It's how the water is being used. And so a lot of people in the spiritual community hold this belief. It comes down from other belief systems going on for the past several decades, which is if you, are, um, if you have a lot of money, then you're somehow less morally sound. Your, your heart's somehow less. Because they'll look at people who have money and there's this judgmental thing. They have no idea who those people are. You know, like I see it all the time. And I live in a very spiritual community. And so it's really interesting seeing where people are when even sometimes they don't even know because you notice the underneath tones to people's voices and things like that, the judgments that happen. And a lot of times people, there, there is definitely a belief that those with money are those who cause the problems. So, of course, you might think you want to make a lot of money, but deep down you don't want to be one of those jerks. So you're not going to. And also there's a belief that comes down from hundreds of years of cultural indoctrination, which is being poor and humble is somehow being more enlightened, which is not true either. Money is just energy. You're not more enlightened if you have less of this energy than if you have more of it. You know. And so that's something that I think it's really important that a lot of people graduate from and come out of or else what we're trying to do here is not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. So I think we're getting close to the end here, Karis. Um, I wanted to ask you if there's anything that you're doing right now that's like your your passion. What is it that's really rocking your world right now? Um, well, I'm really shifting a lot of things about uh, my work. I'm more, in the beginning, it was more on the edge, on the forefront. And now what's happening is I still do this stuff on the edge and the forefront. And I still teach it sometimes. But I'm really of the very strong opinion that everybody should have access to it. So my, it's like we were talking before, you can lead a totally normal life and do totally normal things and still have access to this realm of knowledge. I think that thousands of years ago in um, you know, ancient Greece or Mesopotamia, things like that, people with the, the upper middle class to upper class amount of education would have automatically known what was going on astrologically. They would have automatically known what, how the energies were running on the planet. They did celebrate the turning of the year with festivals and things like that. So it was more normal for people to have, yeah, of course, the logical information, but also the spiritual. And I think that that's what we are tying in together now. I'm really excited about that. And so a lot of the things that I'm offering are going to be available to a grander scale. I'm going to start putting up all of my past classes for immediate download and stuff like that because it's information that came through that now since I'm not teaching the classes anymore is not available. And so that's one of my favorite things right now. And I also am working on like three different books 
And so who knows how long it's going to take them to be born, <laughs> but they're, they're gestating. So yeah, that's pretty exciting too. That's cool. So where can people find more information about you? The easiest place to find me is on my website, which is charismelina.com. It's C-H-A-R-I-S-M-E-L-I-N-A.com. And also I have a YouTube channel, which you can link to through the website. And I'm on Facebook a lot. So um, I'm always like posting things up there. So you can find me there too, all under Karis Melina Brown. But you can find links to all of them on my website. Yeah, and I definitely recommend picking up her book, uh, Journal of a Starseed, at, at, at least for a primer on a lot of this type of stuff that we talked about. And it's a really fast read. And, and then, of course, hit up her YouTube channel because she's got a gold mine of all sorts of inspiring information for you to, for you to pick up on. So, wow, that was a, a pretty, pretty epic conversation. And... Uh, <laughs> definitely appreciate your time Karis and um, stay in touch and good luck on your on your journeys and your, your books and your next classes and workshops and everything and, and uh, appreciate it thank you and many blessings on your leaps of faith right may, you and everyone listening may you realize that you've got wings the whole time <laughs> yeah that's a good point that's a great quote to end on alright alright well thanks Karis I'll see ya